It's good to see you here today at Freedom. Again, welcome on a a hurricane weekend. It seems like we've heard about uh, nothing but Irma all week long. And uh, the folks in the Keys and Florida right now are uh, watching the weather and holding their breath. And we are praying for them. But I'm glad that in the middle of all of that, that you have taken time to come and be a part of worship today. And it is good to see some of our church family that's getting sort of spread out uh, back with us. Patty, it's good to have you back uh, here on the Eastern Shore. Jim, it's good to have you back from the Atlanta area. We miss you guys and uh, welcome the chance to have you with us. Uh, If you weren't here last Sunday, I began a new series that's going to last for five Sundays and I'm really excited about it because it's something that God's been speaking in my life and stirring in my heart for some time. And the long and short of it is this. God has over and over uh, in my life and ministry at different seasons given me sort of a road map of where the church is supposed to go over the next year. And it's been sort of odd how frequently he would just do it just a year at a time, giving bite-sized pieces. But I felt so strongly that this year God's been giving uh, a word and a pattern for us for the next decade, where he's taking Freedom Church for the coming decade. And so over a span of five weeks, I'm preaching a series that is an attempt to communicate to you the things that God's put on my heart about what he's saying for Freedom Church for the decade to come. And uh, there are a couple of key passages that we're looking at. One of those is Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn there with me, that's uh, a place that we're going to continue to return to. I'll say, in case you weren't here last week, just by way of reminder, that there were really two truths that we talked about as we started this series. And the first one was that... uh, God has said again and again in his word uh, truths like what he says in uh, Isaiah forty three eighteen. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. And that really was the beginning point of last week is to recognize that our old ideas of what church is supposed to be like and what we're supposed to be doing, that God is in the process of blowing that up and, and inviting us to let go of how we've always done things. That we need to be careful not to assume that we know how to do church or what we should expect of God when we function together as the church because he is in the process of doing a new thing. And that's, that's a good thing for us to realize. And in that, we need to recognize what has been, what the church has held on to, and really, quite honestly, in the West, how ineffective that's been and just be willing to hold those things rather loosely so that we can embrace the new thing that God's doing. And the second thing we talked about last week is that God is calling us as a church to be a kingdom-minded church and that in, the, in becoming that, it's, it forces us to let go of the ideas of always everything needing to be about this congregation and about our programs and our plan and how many we have and, and just what we're doing, that, but that we would have a bigger picture of God's kingdom work. That's what Jesus always preached was the message of the kingdom of God. It was always about the kingdom and that we learn to, need to learn to think as kingdom people and that God is specifically challenging Freedom Church to set a whole new pattern for how churches work together with a kingdom mindset that says we're not here just to advance the size and the, the health of this one congregation, but we're here to see the kingdom grow in this region and around the world. And so that was the beginning point last week. If you weren't here last week, I want to really encourage you, take the time in the next week to go back and listen online. Uh, I just feel like all five of these pieces, if you can't be here every week, take the time to listen online because we need to be on the same page with these things. So uh, today what we're going to dive into uh, is another key piece, and it comes from that passage in Ephesians Three, this is a prayer from Paul, verses 14 to 21. And I said last week, I really want to encourage you through this month to just go back and reread and meditate on 
these few verses, it's Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, but the Lord has said very clearly that some key truths in this prayer uh, define the picture of where God's taking Freedom Church in the coming decade. And so as you get into verse 16 of this prayer, Paul prays this. He says, I ask God from the wealth of his glory to give you power through his spirit. Everybody say power through his spirit. All right. What does that power do? Power through his spirit to be strong in your inner selves. And as he gets to the last part of the prayer, he says, To him who by means of his power, again his power working in us, is able to do so much more than we can even ask for or even think think of. To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time, forever and ever. Amen. Again, this is the part of the passage that we love to point to and we love to claim it at a personal level that God is wanting through His power to do more than we could ever ask for or imagine. But it's important to realize that the point of this is always what Paul has said here, that God would get glory. It's never been about our personal advancement. It's never been about, you know, the church, our congregation, Freedom Church advancing as the church that everybody writes about and talks about. That's never the point. The point is always that God would get glory in the church, in our lives, and in Christ, and that that would just continue forever and ever. You realize that's what everything is about, don't you? Everything is designed by God for His glory. That sort of messes with our heads, doesn't it? It sounds vain. It would be vain if you're anybody other than God. When you're the God who was before everything and who made everything, it can all be about you and for you. And there'd be nothing wrong with that. Everything is for His glory. God is wanting to pour out His power on this church and on us in ways that really do and will blow our minds because it will so exceed anything that we've ever known in the past. And He's wanting to do that. Not so that we just get spiritual strokes or so that we just have this warm feeling in our heart and can just feel better about ourselves. He is doing that ultimately for two reasons. One, so that he'll get glory and because we desperately need his power. Don't you know that's a fact? We need the power of God. Paul says so plainly, this real straightforward word in 1 Corinthians 4.20, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It is a matter of power. I want to say that one again. That, that, that ought to touch something in us. The kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is always talking about. This is what Jesus came to usher in. The kingdom of God. He said it is not a matter of talk. It is a matter of power. And I think the reason that when we hear that, we tend to go, hmm, okay, I don't know what to do with that, is because our experience of the kingdom of God has mostly been in the Western church, which lacks power. Which knows so little about the power of God. Now trust me, I'm not down on the church. I'm high on the church. The kingdom of God is advancing. The church is strong. It's the church in the West that has lost touch with what it means to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. I assure you, if I could load you on a plane today and fly you to other parts of the world so that we could see what God is doing through the church on other continents where the church is healthy and growing and doing what it should be doing, you would see the power of God healing people and setting people free and saving people in massive numbers. The power of God is being manifest, but we must look in the mirror and ask some real straightforward questions. One of them being, are we seeing the power of God manifest in the life of the church and in our lives today? Because I would contend 
that the closest that we come to that most of the time in most churches is we look around and we say, well, I can point to some churches that are getting bigger. Surely that's the power of God. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Because you can grow things a lot of different ways. You, you can grow a church by stealing members from other churches. And I don't know that the power of God was involved in that. And that happens a lot. Have you all ever noticed? There's always a flavor of the week, a flavor of the month, a flavor of the year when it comes to churches. You know, it's the rocking, grooving church. They've got the hot pastor. They've got the really cool worship leader. They've got the great children's programs. And whew, that'll swell a church. It will. It doesn't take rocket science. If you can have a nice facility in a good location, a pastor who's a decent communicator and relates well to people, a strong worship ministry, a strong worship leader, and good programs for children and for youth, a church will grow. It will. Whether God's in it or not. And that may sound sacrilegious. It's not. We'd better come to terms with this. Numerical growth does not equal kingdom growth. It doesn't mean that God's doing anything. It doesn't mean that the power of God has been poured out at all. And tragically, we've all witnessed this at some level. We live in the Bible Belt. We all watch churches where it's like, ooh, man, they're on the grow. They must be doing something right. And again, I'm not attacking growing churches. Praise God that there are churches that are growing. But the problem is when we idolize numerical growth and go, oh, that means God is at work there. You want to know how you can tell where God is at work? Lives are changed. God is glorified and the miraculous is happening. That's how you can tell. And on top of that, those places are making and training disciples and sending them out. And the measure of their success and of kingdom growth is not, Woo, look what a big wad of them they can get in a building at one time. The measure of their success is how many of that wad they can train and send out to go have an impact. Well, that doesn't sound nearly as exciting. That never gets the amens that, that the other thoughts do. The, let, let's set a goal of a thousand in attendance and let's get them all here. Woo, glory to God. That would be the power of God, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be nearly as powerful as a thousand people going out in His name. But then we don't get our strokes. Because we can't see that. Only God can see what they're doing in all those places. The kingdom of God is a matter of power. And in the absence of power, don't miss this because this is, this is so much where the church is today in the West. In the absence of power, we have to do something that gives a sense of kingdom advancement. And in place of that, in the Western church, when we look around and realize, if we're real honest, we don't see a lot of God's power and so we compensate for that through activity. If we can't invoke the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about changed lives, healings, deliverance, salvation. If we can't see those things happening, the way we cover for that is we just create more activities, more programs. We'll keep you busy. We'll do... Two things in the American church above everything else to cover for this gigantic spiritual vacuum that is the, the absence of God's power. We will create a great production on stage on Sunday morning. That means, Tony, the music better be good, brother. 
And that means, Mark, the preaching better be spot on if there's no power. You better have a great production on Sunday morning. And you better have lots of good activities throughout the week. To give us this sense that we and our children children are being made into the disciples. It's pretty discouraging to think about, isn't it? When you really look around and consider how many places we've settled for this. There are a lot of churches... The Sunday morning is so slick. It is so smooth. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll sing. You'll applaud. You'll raise your hands. It was just so good. But if you get really honest, was the power of God there? Were lives being changed? Was the miraculous happening? Did all of our busy activity in the week help us to make disciples and do anything to reach people or bring glory to God? Or did it just keep us busy so that we would have a sense of being a part of God doing something significant? We could add to Paul's words. The kingdom of God is not just a matter of talk. It's not just a matter of programs. It's not just a matter of performances. It is a matter of power. Jesus, on multiple occasions, would send his followers, not just the twelve. He did it with the twelve, but he also did it with a larger number of his followers. He would send them out two by two to go do the very things that he was doing, which was mind-boggling for them because they had no earthly idea that they had any power to do this. I mean, you have to bear in mind that the people who followed Jesus around, they weren't so different from us. I know they lived in a different age, and their experience had been different in some ways. But these Jewish people, like those of us who've grown up in the Bible Belt, they had been around religion all of their lives. Most of them had probably been in synagogue, their equivalent of of what we would know of as church. And they knew all of the rituals. And tragically, what they knew was ritual minus the power. And Jesus came along, and the reason that everybody was willing to at least temporarily abandon synagogue for the week to go follow Jesus was why? It was for one simple reason, because Jesus had the power. People will always come to the power. You don't have to serve pizza to get them to come when there's power. They'll come where the power of God is. Jesus had it. He healed the sick. He would show up in a town and the scriptures say he would heal everybody in that town. That will get people's attention. Not just a, a performer on stage who, you know, heals a few select people that make everybody go, Ooh, that was amazing. The guy who actually had the power to go in and clean out the hospitals. He would show up and heal diseases at that level, cast out demons, preach like nobody had ever heard anyone preach before, this message of the kingdom, and they were drawn to that power. But then he took it to another level that just totally blew their minds. It's that exceeding abundantly beyond all you could ask or imagine kind of blow your minds. He said, this thing you've been watching me do, I want you this week and this month, I want you to go do it. I'm going to pair you off. You just go do exactly what I've been doing. Can you imagine being in the crowd? All they've ever known is just religion and they were just spectators in the religious thing. 
they were the ones who sat in the seats, or actually they didn't. They, they would stand while the rabbi sat. They did the reverse of what we do. I stand and you sit. If we were Jews 2,000 years ago, you would stand while I sit and, and talk to you. They would just stand and listen to the rabbi as he would lead in the rituals and read from the scrolls. And Jesus said, it's not going to look like that. Here's what it's going to look like. Luke 9 is just one of the, the uh, examples of Jesus sending them out in pairs. It says, when he called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority. Say those words with me. Power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And said, oh, by the way, don't take any money or extra clothes with you. That's quite a start to the movement, isn't it? Just go get with it. Don't you know... Every one of them, because he did it with the 12, and then he turned right around in Luke 10, and he did it with the 72. We don't even begin to know who was included in the 72. It's safe to say there were people who were only marginally involved with Jesus. And he said, I'm giving you the same power, power and authority, to do all, of, all three of the things that I do. And by the way, Jesus consistently did three things. He healed the sick, he cast out demons, and he preached the message of the kingdom of God. It would be a decent idea for the church to want to hold on to all three of those. Amen? I think that would be a great idea for us today. The thing that makes that proposition so scary for the Western church today is you cannot accomplish those. At best, you could go one for three without the power of God. Agreed? We could talk about the kingdom of God. Not powerfully, but we could talk about the kingdom of God. Till Jesus comes back, and we have, we have mastered that in the Western church. We love to talk. But without the power of God, you won't heal sick people. And you won't set free people who are in bondage to demons. And that's what Jesus did. And it's what he sent his followers out to do. There's one thing you have got to have to do what Jesus did. And it's what Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. It's what God is declaring over Freedom Church. And that is, you must walk, live, operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing short of that will allow for this. And I'm just going to be honest. Up to now, painting with a broad brush, that has not defined Freedom Church. It hasn't. The good news is, God is doing a new work. God is speaking a fresh word. God is defining not where the church has been. God begins by saying, forget what has been. I'm about to do a new thing. Who's ready for a new thing? Who's ready for a spirit-empowered new thing? I'm ready for that. I want us to be ready for that. But I, I'm telling you, as we look to the years that are to come, there are at least four specific ways that God is calling us to depend on and access the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish a multitude of things. But there are four specific things that God is saying to Freedom Church that must be defining marks for us. That we truly tap into the Holy Spirit's power to do these four things. And that's what I want to share with you today. The first one is this. That we must be a church that depends on the power of the Holy Spirit to live consistently with integrity. That's not the exciting sounding one on the front end. But see, I'm not just pulling that out of thin air. Paul concludes Ephesians 3 with what we just read, where he says this whole thing about how 
I'm praying that the, the power of the Holy Spirit would dwell in you so that from your inner being you would be filled with power. And I'm, I'm praying that this power of God would enable you to ex- do exceeding abundantly beyond all you could ever ask or imagine. The very next breath. You know how so many times we'll get thrown off because like when we're reading the Bible or having our quiet times, we go, oh, that was the end of the chapter. Draw a line. Stop there. We'll pick up a new thought tomorrow. When Paul wrote, he did not write with chapter breaks. We just do that so it's easier to to sort of organize it and say where we are in the Scripture. The very next words from Paul's pen were these. Therefore, therefore always means you better look back to what I just said. In light of this power that God is pouring out on you, I urge you who have been chosen by God to live up to the life to which God has called you. You know what he just said? All of this power that God is unleashing on your life to do the impossible. You know the first impossible thing that God wants to do in you? He wants to enable you to stop living a sorry, low-down, second-hand Christian experience. He wants to enable you to live worthy of the calling that you have received as a follower of Christ. Thank the Lord for that. Because apart from the power of God... I'm such a mediocre Christian at best, and sometimes far less than that. And he said the first thing that Freedom Church has to learn to do is to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit to learn to live more than just the defeated, mediocre Christian life. That you would actually live with integrity to live worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, I want to be real clear on something here. We are quick to say, and we will always be quick to say, that we are a fellowship of broken people. Where all of the broken are welcome. Absolutely. It's part of of what defines us. We are so glad to belong where you don't have to pretend that you've all got it, you know, wired together and you're just a cookie cutter Christian that's always doing the right thing. We get that. Everybody here is a broken person. But we need to be very clear on this. We will not glory in our brokenness. We will not Do you know what I mean when I say that? It means we don't take our brokenness. And by our brokenness, we're talking about things like, yeah, I've got a terrible temper problem, but that's all right. I mean, everybody's got a problem. I I rage without boundaries. I've got a potty mouth. I know I do, but everybody's got some kind of issue. I'm a closet porn addict, but I mean, everybody's addicted to something. I do porn. She eats too much. We can't use our brokenness as just... And the fact that we're in the fellowship of the broken as an excuse to say, well, see, everybody's got some kind of problem. This person's drinking. That person's doing pills. That person's got a problem with greed. This person gossips all the time. We're just the fellowship of the broken. I'm just, I'm glad I belong to a fellowship like that because that way, see, we don't judge each other. I'll never talk about your stuff. You never talk about my stuff and we'll all get along fine. What you can do is twist that a little bit and suddenly it's okay to stay like you are. And that is never what we're saying. We are the fellowship of the broken where everybody is welcome. And you don't have to get your act together before you come here. But the good news is this. In this fellowship where we have access to the power of God to transform our lives, we are not staying the way we were when we got here. 
And it doesn't mean that I suddenly have to pretend like it's all fixed, but it does mean that I take my sin seriously, that I take a call to a holy life seriously, and that I look to God on a daily basis and say, Oh Lord, I understand clearly I have a major problem with these things, and I am not content just to stay where I am. I want to join with my brothers and sisters who are hungry for your holiness in our lives, and I'm not just going to make empty promises to you about being better. God, I need the power of your Spirit in me to change me. And Paul is saying, God will do abundantly more than you can imagine. But you know why it's more than we can imagine? Because we don't imagine on our really tough issues that we'll ever get much better than we are right now. Do we? Most of us who really struggle with brokenness imagine, I'll always be eaten up with fear, I'll always be poisoned with anger, with bitterness. I'll never be able to control my tongue. I'll never be able to control my lust, my greed, my pride, my selfishness. I'll never be able to change who I am. And you won't be able to change it apart from the power of God. But when His power enters the equation, transformation happens. You know, one of the saddest things that's happened in our culture in terms of of addressing issues of brokenness, is the 12-step programs, of which there are many, have essentially been neutered. They have been just chopped off from the power that they initially were designed to tap us into to help people get free from addictions and bondage. You know what that looked like, don't you? They, They took a biblical plan for recovery and said, well, we need to make this politically correct And so we're not going to tell people about the power of God, the one true living God, to free them from those things. And we're just going to sort of smooth out that whole idea and and say, you just need to connect with the God of your own understanding, the God of your choosing. And by so doing, we have cut off that plan from access to the power of God. It's the beauty of Celebrate Recovery. It reclaims the original 12-step biblical plan for people recovering. Do you understand? Not everybody here has done the 12 steps. Do you know where the 12 steps begin? By acknowledging my what? There are some recovery people in here. Some, some folks are getting it right. My, my powerlessness. Oh, that's a key word. In recovery, you have to start by acknowledging I don't have the power. I can't fix it. I can't just try harder and overcome this. I begin by acknowledging my powerlessness to manage my own life and my problems. My issues are bigger than my own power. And then the second step takes you to the realization that there is a power beyond me. And in Celebrate Recovery, we're real clear. That power is in the person of Jesus Christ whose spirit is poured into us to enable us to get free from these things. And in the third step, you completely surrender your life, your control, your issues, your future, your everything to Him so that you can begin to have access to His power to experience healing in real life change. But you see, all of the programs that are secular took that part out. And do you know what the success rates are for these programs now? I mean, it is mind-boggling that people even... I'm sorry for this how this sounds, but it's mind-boggling that people still show up in massive numbers. I think if they knew the numbers, they'd probably run away. But here's the thing. They're so desperate in their own brokenness that they'll run to anything that offers them any hope. 
It's the reason that Celebrate Recovery has such a higher success rate at helping people get healed and free because they're helping people tap into the power of God. Freedom Church is called to be a church that always acknowledges that we are broken people being redeemed by the grace and power of God, that welcomes everyone, but that doesn't just say, oh, it's fine to just be where you are. No, Jesus died for us and sent us His Spirit so that we don't have to stay where we are. We've got to be a church that taps into the power of God so that we learn to live consistently with integrity. The second thing that has to define us is that we become a church that taps into the power of God to save the lost through sharing the gospel. One of the the most unhealthy thing that's happened in the modern Western church is that we have become people who tend to think in terms of there are normal, you know, average Christians and then there are the professional Christians. You know, those who went to seminary and get paid to be Christians. And they're the ones who are really skilled to lead the lost people to salvation. And so if we're going to reach the lost, the job of the ordinary Christian is to invite the lost person to come to the church so that the professional Christian can professionally share the message of Jesus. Now, I know how absurd that sounds when I say it, but tell me that isn't how we act. You know that's how we act. I know I wouldn't share it like the pastor would. So I'm just going to invite them to come to church, and I'll let that silver-tongued preacher just share the gospel with him. Listen, it's wonderful to invite people to church, but if we're going to reach the world, together we've got to share the gospel. And if we're going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, this is a defining mark of that. If we just got really honest and I stopped talking and just let you begin to share, I think part of what we would share is this. If we ask the question, do you feel like that there have been many times in your life that you personally walked in the power of the Holy Spirit? I think that most people would say, not really. Not very much. I I think a lot of people would say, I've spent most of my life cut off from walking in the power of God. You want to experience the power of God on your life? I mean, like, for sure, quickly? Here's the simplest plan I know. You start sharing the gospel with anybody, anywhere. And suddenly, you'll begin to see power on your life. It'll happen. And you may say, well, that's kind of presumptuous. It's really not so much so. Paul said in Romans 1.16, something that really needs to sink in for us. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Okay, based on that verse, what is the power of God that brings salvation? What's the gospel? The gospel is very specifically this. It's not just the Bible. The gospel is a very short and concise message. It is the the word gospel, euangelion, means good news. It, It is the good news that God loves you. That in spite of our sin that separates us from God, that God sent His Son Jesus to die as a sacrifice on our behalf. And that God accepted that sacrifice and raised Jesus from the dead so that if we place our faith in the crucified and risen Jesus, that our sins can be forgiven and we would be saved. That didn't take me 30 seconds to explain. That's the gospel. Paul said it in less words than this. He said, by this gospel you're saved. If you hold firmly to the truth that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. Boom. Gospel. It's an old story. It's a short story. I mean, you can share it very briefly. And it's easy to feel like, 
How's that going to change somebody's life? Because God, the God who can make things happen any way that he wants to, who can save people any way that he wants to, said, here's how I'm going to save people. I'm going to do it through what Jesus did on the cross. But our response has got to be to that historic message. I'm going to design the human heart in such a way that at some level it understands it's broken, it's cut off from me, and that there's got to be something that they hear and respond to and put their trust in. And the human heart goes through life waiting to hear this message. And when we share the wonderful historic message of Jesus, and what he's done, hearts connect with it. The power of God is unleashed and suddenly, boom, there's conviction. There's an awareness of there's something real in that. It's not like the story of of Buddha or of Confucius or of Muhammad. It's not like anything else. It's not just some other religion. The truth has been heard. And the power of God has been unleashed. In Freedom Church... We have to blow up and do away with this mindset that says, my job is to invite people to church. His job is to share the gospel. No, we're going to be an army of people who all are committed that as often as we can, with as many people as we possibly can, we are going to share the wonderful message of Jesus and what he's done and the difference that it's made in our lives. Agreed? That has to be who we are in the early church when they didn't have a New Testament to run to. It says in Acts 4 that with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God poured out rich blessings on them all. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's the kind of church that God blesses. Where they just, wherever they go, they're just Making up ways to talk to people about Jesus, to talk to people about what, what's causing pain and difficulty in their lives and how Jesus has come to make a difference. And as the more they shared the gospel, the more power was unleashed and just the power and the presence of blessing of God was there. That hasn't changed in 2,000 years. If we'll be a, a family of people who just talk about Jesus and the gospel, the power of God will be there. Now we get to the two where it gets really interesting. The third of the things that we as a church must depend on God for is the power of God to heal the sick. In Matthew 10, when Jesus is sending out the twelve two by two, it says Jesus called the twelve to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. How many diseases and sickness? You think that included diabetes? You think that included heart disease? Eczema, (laughs) anxiety, depression. I think it gets it all. Every disease and sickness. It's interesting. He gave them, in the, the Luke 9 account of the same thing, he gave them power and authority to heal every disease and sickness. We've talked about this before. I'm just going to say a brief word about this. It's interesting that they were really specific to say Jesus gave them power and authority. They're not the same thing. You understand how those two work differently? You could pick out the smallest and weakest person in this room and give them a loaded gun. And if they suddenly start pointing it at the rest of us, they've got the most power in the room. Right? In that moment... The person with the loaded gun is waving it around. They suddenly have power. They don't have any authority, but they have our attention, don't they? They start waving it around and saying, shut up, everybody listen to me. I'm going to be quiet and listen for a moment. Because suddenly that gun gave them power. Now, that's not going to last for long because we've all got cell phones and we're going to call what? We're going to call an authority. A 
authority will trump power. If you have power without authority, it will be overcome. It's interesting, though, in the UK, they've got policemen with authority. They all carry badges, but they don't carry guns. It's a little scary sometimes when you have authority, but you don't have the power to go with it. They're deciding the more than 90% of their policemen, when they run into armed terrorists and they're not carrying guns, it creates a problem. If you have authority, but you don't have power to, to back it up. Jesus said, I'm giving you power and authority. There were examples in the scriptures where people tried to use the power without the authority. The seven sons of Sceva, the priest Sceva in the book of Acts, they, they watched Paul use the power and authority that he had, and they mimicked it to cast out demons. And they actually were able to do it because there's so much power in the name of Jesus. Even though they weren't followers of Jesus, they'd run around saying, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, we command you evil spirits, come out. And it worked for a while because spirits so feared Jesus and his power, they'd run away. Until one day they ran up on a ranking, strong spirit. And they tried to pull their same trick. And that spirit said, We know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. And they empowered the man that they possessed with such strength that he whipped those seven guys and left them naked and bleeding, running away. They had power. It was usurped power and no authority. Jesus said, I'm giving you both. You have power and authority. Now, it's interesting. We can sort of pretty quickly get our heads around using that in relation to the demonic. Where we get a little weird about that is, what does that have to do with healing diseases? You have power and authority over every disease. We must learn to operate in power and authority in relation to disease. (laughs) i got to tell you, we never talked about this in the Baptist church that I grew up in. We didn't go there at all. We had a three-step plan for dealing with sickness. Number one, you tell us you're sick, we will put you on the prayer list. That means Wednesday night we're going to talk about you in, in church. Number two, if we really love you, we will come see you when you are sick. That's a real blessing when you're sick to have people hanging out at your house. And number three, if you are really, really sick, we will bring you a casserole. And that is the mark of the full measure of love. If we put you on a prayer list, we visit you and bring a casserole when we come see you. You know you are deeply loved. Which is so ironic because it's eaten too many casseroles that made a lot of us sick. And we don't want company when we are sick. And I'm not sure we did much more than talk about who was on the prayer list instead of praying for people on the prayer list. Jesus had a different plan for the sick. He just healed them. And he sent his followers out and he said, when you encounter people who are sick, you heal them. To which I'm sure they responded like we would if Jesus showed up today and said, go out two by two this week. And when you encounter sick people, heal them. And we'd all look at each other and go, I think he came to the wrong church. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus says. Go out this week. I'm giving you power and authority. Heal the sick. Well, what does that look like? I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like, okay, brother, I'll put you on my prayer list. That is not what it looks like. I'll visit you later this week to see how you're doing. I'll bring you something to eat. Listen, I'm not saying... We shouldn't have people in our prayer list or that we shouldn't visit the sick or even bring food to their families. But that is not the first kingdom response of real kingdom people to those who are sick. We're called on to pray over, not for, pray over the sick. 
and to call them to health. And I know, we just, we're suddenly really uncomfortable with this. Two weeks ago, Ovi was here in my place, Pastor Ovi, and um, I know he preached Genesis one We've talked some about what, what he preached, and um, I'm not sure how far he went with this thought, but if I'm repeating what he said, forgive me, and if I'm adding to it, it's with a purpose. In Genesis one twenty-eight, when God had first made man, he gave mankind, that includes every one of us, dominion and authority over every living thing on the earth. Think about this. You have dominion. You have authority over everything that lives on earth. It doesn't matter if it's a complex living thing or a single cell organism. You have power and authority over it. When you deal with sickness, you get to exercise that God-given dominion and authority. Only in recent years has God been helping me to begin to operate in this realm that suddenly ministering to the sick is not just throwing up prayers and just hoping something sticks in heaven. Oh Lord, you know, I know you're busy healing a lot of people and I know you're probably tied up. I'm going to throw another one in your direction. Old John over here has not been feeling well, so if you got any extra time, power for John, help John out over here. And John in my heart, I'm thinking I probably ain't going to do much, but God bless you, brother. Maybe you'll feel better. Maybe they'll knock one day off of your your bout with the flu or something. That was never how Jesus dealt with sickness or sick people, how he expected us to. Jesus just took full authority. He spoke healing over people. Sometimes he would take authority over what had gotten into people to cast it out. I mean, part of dominion and authority is we can speak to whatever it is that makes people sick and command it to leave, to command it to wither and die. And speak the blessing of Christ over that person. Feeling uncomfortable yet? Is it feeling outside of your realm of experience yet? It's okay to say yes. Because most of us haven't spent a lot of time taking authority over sickness. Some of this is we just in faith need to begin to learn to pray and minister differently. I will tell you, um, one of the things that I know God is saying for right now over Freedom Church, now and going forward, is when we gather for worship, the last part of the service most weeks needs to have a different meaning and, and actually function differently. If you grew up in church like I did, you knew what was always coming at the end. At the end of his sermon, the pastor was going to say a little prayer and... The musicians were going to get in place, and we were going to sing a final hymn. It was a 50-50 as to whether it was going to be Just As I Am. And the only question was how many verses of Just As I Am we were going to sing to try and get some sinner to come to the front so that they could repent and publicly make a declaration that I need to be saved, recommit my life, or join the church, or whatever. And that was called the invitation time. It was always about who needs to repent and get right with God. And there's nothing wrong with people, you know, there being a time for people to do that. But I'm telling you, Today and forevermore going forward, that time in this church is not supposed to revolve around that singular thought. That that is forevermore for us going to be a ministry time. That that is going to be a time where we just recognize when we gather as a church, a part of what is supposed to happen is that there's an opportunity for the power of God to be poured out to meet the needs of people. Whether it's people who are sick who need healing today whose hearts are heavy and broken, who need to experience inner healing. People who are feeling the weight of just 
the enemy's oppression in their lives and they need that lifted and they need that broken and they need somebody to, to pray over them and minister to them. That is what's going to happen. And is it an opportunity for people to come and get right with God? You better know it. But never more should we ever look at that time as being, well, let's see if anybody gets saved today. Is anybody going to walk out? No. There should never be a Sunday that we fail to utilize that time when we take the time to just say, who, who has needs here today? You don't have to say out loud to the church what your needs are, but there are people positioned to just pray over you and to stand with you and to take authority with you. Who wouldn't want to access that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a church where the power of God is being poured out? Now, we don't have to be in church for those things to happen. We, we want to be clear about that. We all walk with power and authority to minister healing in people's lives. But it's amazing how when people who are walking in God's power and authority gather, how there is an increased measure of God's healing, delivering, and saving power expressed in that place. And he does it through ordinary people. Don't be surprised when in those times God puts it on your heart when you don't even know what's going on in the life of a certain person that's coming forward for ministry and you don't even know what the deal is with them and God speaks to your heart, you're supposed to go up and put a hand on them and pray for them. That's going to happen. You see, when Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 12 about the dancing hand of God, the different manifestations of the Spirit of God and His power in our lives, that one of the most prominent ones that he points to again and again is the gift of healing. That, that there's just going to be the dancing hand of God landing on different people. That in this given moment, God speaks to Jim and says, go over and lay your hands on this person and pray for them. And it may not have even been somebody who's come forward. It may just be that God says, go over and just pray for this person. And you may not even know what's going on with him. That that's just going to be revealed in that time. And that healing power is going to be unleashed through somebody within the body towards someone else. At the end of that chapter... He's no longer talking about the dancing hand of God. He, he's referencing different offices in the church. And he talks about how we have need for apostles in the church. And we have need for prophets. He talks about the different roles within the church. Among the first five roles that he says that we have in the church is we have need for those with gifts of healing. Which is a reminder that not only is there the dancing hand of God that can manifest in anybody's life at any moment in time, any way that he wants to. But there are certain people who have a particular anointing in the area of healing. I'll never forget a little uh, fellow from Africa whose name is Michael Milley. Doesn't speak a whole lot of English. He's one of our Here's Life Africa team members. And he clearly has an anointing in the area of healing. And we've seen him on multiple occasions that God would just, as others are praying, but God would just use him to come in and little bitty guy lay his hands on somebody. And in Swahili, and man, he's just praying 90 miles an hour and just watching miraculous stuff happen. One One day... Uh, a meeting with the Here's Life team. Uh, a bunch of people have been gathered to be pray over, prayed over for healing. And a guy's brought in. It's like you read about in the Gospels. Uh, a guy's brought in by four friends on a blanket who's paralyzed from here down. And uh, in the course of the meeting, because he didn't have bladder control because of the paralysis he had wet on himself. And so he asked his friends to carry him out. And they're carrying him out of the meeting. And Michael saw this happening and he went out and chased the, the five of them down and wanted to know how they were leaving and they said well he, he wet himself and we need to you know, take him back to his home and he said no no bring him back we want to pray over him and Michael laid hands on him and prayed over him and God healed him completely the guy got up off of his blanket and starts jumping up and making laps in, in the meeting 
that kind of power of God is still being poured out. I, I remember uh, one year a member of our team had just gotten so, so sick and had been for a couple of days. And he was to the point we, we were so far back in the bush. It wasn't like there was a hospital we could take him to. So we were just, we had IV fluids and, and equipment with us. So we're pumping him with IVs and all. He's still just laid out. He's not conscious most of the time. And we've just got him in the coolest place we can put him um, just really didn't know what else to do for him. And Michael came in. We'd all been praying for him. But Michael came in and wasn't just going to pray for him. He was going to pray over him for healing. And he laid hands on him. And it's one of those things you'd have to be there to fully appreciate it. You just almost, you're praying with him, but you almost call time out at times just to watch and listen. <laughs> and we did. And and our friend Steve, a member of our team, I mean, I don't think he was even conscious while the whole prayer time was going on. And it didn't last for many minutes. And when it was over, it was just like, jump. Done. Amen. And all of a sudden, Steve goes, it's like he wakes up and goes, wow, I suddenly feel a lot better. He literally gets up off of his cot, and he's done with being sick in that moment. I mean, to the point, can't can't stir to, you know, sit up and do anything, and suddenly he's back up and at him. The power of God is still being poured out miraculously for healing. We've got to be willing to embrace that, not just to pray for people, but to pray over in uh, James 5, James asked the question, Are any of you sick? Good question for the church today. Any sick among us? I think if we got honest, a lot of us are carrying around something. Anybody sick, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. We, we do that here. And, you know, the elders of the church are well-equipped people to pray over the sick. But understand, you don't have to be an elder to do this. You don't have to be an elder to anoint people. When I anoint people, I just do it in line with the teaching of Scripture. I take oil, which is always representative of the outpouring of God's Spirit and power on a person's life, and I'll always mark them with the sign of the cross. It is just a physical declaration that what we are doing, we are doing under the authority of the Lord Jesus and through the victory that Christ won on the cross. We mark them with the sign of the cross and declare this truth of Scripture. God, we are doing this in obedience to your word which teaches us that we should pray over the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus so that they will be healed. I'm telling you all that because everybody here has the authority to do this. And when on, on any Sunday when we gather, you feel freedom to ask. There's always oil at the front. We're, we're always happy to, to pray for God's spirit and power to be poured out to do this. And then one more thing. The fourth thing that we're called as a church to depend on God for is the power to free people from demonic bondage. Again, the Luke 9 and 10 passages, that's the, in Luke 9 he sent out the 12, and Luke 10 he sent out the 72. It says, Jesus called together his 12, gave them power and authority to cast out all demons. How many demons are left out of that? All demons. And then he sent the 72 out with the same kinds of instructions. And chapter 10, verse 17, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And I know in the church today there's so much confusion about the demonic. Look, it's just this simple. The biggest misunderstandings are people tend to think, if I'm a Christian, I don't have to worry about demons. If I'm talking to a Christian, they don't have to worry about demons. That's hogwash. Demons come after everybody. Demons try and oppress everyone. And we're not going to have some skewed picture of things that every problem is demonic. If somebody's sick, it has to be demonic. If somebody's having a problem, it has to be demonic. But that's not who we are. 
But do understand this. We deal with the demonic all the time. I'll talk with people and they'll say, you know, I'm not sure I've ever personally had to deal with a demon. Or I'm not sure I've ever dealt with somebody who had a demon. <laughs> no, reality is this. Unless there have been maybe a few days in your life that you were so sick that you never left your house, there probably haven't been hardly any days in your life that you haven't dealt with the demonic. Or dealt with people who were, were demonized. They are that numerous. They, they are that real. They're there. They have assignments to you, to me, to our families, to our church, to our community. They're there. They don't cause every problem that we have. In fact, what they're really good at is piggybacking on problems that already exist and making them impossible for us to overcome. That's what they do. It's not all that they do, but it's a big part of what they do. They'll watch you and me and the natural weaknesses that we have and the bad choices that we make. And first of all, they'll use it as a legal right to get into our lives. But then secondly, they'll use the things that we do that were already destructive in and of themselves to go in and say, Oh, I see you have a weakness for that already. Now I'll begin to influence your thinking and your behavior so that given enough time, you'll no longer be able to stop doing that. You'll begin to self-destruct. You'll begin to destroy your own relationships, your relationship with God, your own life. And this thing that used to just be about us, it just used to be about my own desire to do this wrong thing, but then I had the willpower to stop when I wanted to, I suddenly don't. Because a demonic spirit has come in and piggybacked on top of that, and now it has enough influence over my thinking and behavior, I can't quit through willpower. The enemy must be dealt with. The legal right has to be removed. The enemy has to be commanded to leave. God has given us the authority to break that in our own lives and the lives of those in our families, but to take that authority and to cast out any demon that we encounter. And a specific calling for Freedom Church is that we must be a church that offers deliverance to the people that we encounter. When they come in this place, but wherever we go when we're out of the salt shaker. Do you realize how desperate people are today to get free? I mean, people are lining up for counselors. People who are pretty good counselors, you'll spend weeks or months getting in for your first visit because people are so desperate to find help. And the tragic truth is there aren't probably three counselors on the eastern shore who will ever address this side of the problem. And there are people who have you know, chemical issues or issues of, of abuse or different things that are going on where there is clinical help to be offered, but the clinical help alone won't do any good because there's a demonic spirit that's now piggybacking on that problem that is already in place because of a physiological issue or because of past abuse or whatever it is. And now because that clinician has no skill, no training for helping you deal with the spiritual side of that, it doesn't matter how many pills they give you or how many years you go for therapy, you can't get free because there's a demonic tie to that thing now. And you get some little marginal help along the way, but you just find it, feel like you'll wind up back where you started over and over because of the demonic attachment. We, the whole church, have to be people who usher people into freedom because we know how to just walk in the authority of dealing with the demonic and casting that out. And you only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I shared with you last week, Isaiah 42 is one of the key passages that God keeps taking me to for our church for the coming days. In that, he says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. You will open the eyes of the blind. You'll free captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. He's not talking about physical dungeons. The scripture says that 
that the enemy, that Satan blinds people to the truth. He leaves them in bondage, in darkness, blinded by this. We have the authority, and this is the calling of God for us to go in and free people from these places. When Jesus defined his ministry in Luke 4, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Do you hear that? It's the three things that Jesus always did. He ministered the good news. He healed the sick, causing blind eyes to see, lame legs to walk, sick bodies to be well, and he freed people who were in bondage. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Which leaves us with one fundamental question. How? How do you get from the average church in the West to being a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered church? Well, two things more than any other to me are the starting point. And the first one is, you've got to change what you depend on. If there's a diagnosis for you or somebody in your family or your circle that's really bad, where do you put your trust? Is your full hope based on what modern medicine says about that? Is your hope based on, well, if I can get to MD Anderson or if I can get to the Mayo Clinic, you know, I've got a 30% chance. Is that what your hope is based on? I'm not saying you shouldn't go to the doctor and accept whatever treatment's out there. Or do we learn to be a people who say, you know what, my hope is in God. He knew the day of my birth and the day of my death and everything he planned to do in between before he ever made me. And I will trust him with this. And first and foremost, I'm going to look to him for healing in my life or in the life of my family member. Will we learn to depend on God ahead of everything else, including modern medicine? And number two, will we learn to be a people of prayer who truly just in faith put whatever's on our hearts before God, trusting him to come through in that. The church that learns to pray is the church where power is going to reside. A church that prays in faith is a church where God's power falls. Again, the church in Acts 4, they were desperate. And they prayed, and now, O Lord, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to conclude with just two simple questions for you. Not trick questions. First of all, do you need the power of God to touch your life because you have a need? Because there's something that needs to be broken in your life or something that needs to be changed. Do you need the power of God in your life to bring healing? If so, you're in a good place. And we're about to have a time of ministry just for those kinds of things. But a second, different question. It may not be that you've come with a specific need today or some specific brokenness, but are you just at a place you just long for the power of God to rest on your life so that you're a conduit for this kind of spiritual ministry to happen? If that's what you're hungry for, I'm going to invite you today to just make that declaration. Let's just take some time to pray over one another and to just ask that the power of God would be poured out. I mean, the scriptures speak to this. Paul would write to Timothy and talk about, you remember the things that were poured out on you when the elders prayed for you and laid their hands on you. You were different from that point forward. 
Do you believe in those kinds of outpourings when we pray and lay our hands on one another that the power of God, that an anointing of God would be poured out? Hey, we're just going to open this time up and invite God to move. And, and if God's speaking to you, you've got a need or you're just hungry for an outpouring of the Spirit of God in your life, let's just use this as an opportunity to respond to God. Would you bow together as we pray? God, we are so hungry for more of you and all that you want to do in your church and in our lives. I pray that you would make us just sick to death with the concept of, of just low-living Christianity, just low-level Christianity where we settle for so little. God, we want all that you have for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Come and meet needs here today. Come and fill our lives. We hunger and we thirst for you. We open our hearts to what you would say and do in this time. And we pray these things, Jesus, in your name.